What's up, Ecosystem? Welcome back to ATI Auto Business. It's Wednesday. It's noon. And it's that monthly time for live carrier advice with Brian Riker. So we're so lucky to have, we have a special guest today, Tom Klein of Better Vantage Point. Uh, we're going to welcome him in and we're going to get the show started. So before we do, just please do click share, click copy, share, like, and then you can comment and make sure your friend subscribes and help us out. This is ATI Auto Business, and we're here to help. If you have something to say, please do jump in the live chat. Otherwise, I'm just going to get this show started. Howdy, Jay. Hey, what's going on? It's been a while, man. Welcome back. I know. It seems like a long time. It happens when we're busy. And right. it's trade show season. It's trade show season. I know. It's hard to find that, that window of time, but we found it. And here today with us, too, we also we brought Ty along with us. Um, Ty Ooh. is in the woods. <laughs> in the woods. And, hey, this is a big deal, too, to be on Brian's show. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. And to have You're Tom. Welcome. I mean, and this is have, really cool. We have Tom. So Tom Klein has been on ATI before. We catch up with him live at trade shows. But for those of you not familiar, Tom, please say hello and tell us a little bit more about you. Hello, everyone. Out in podcast land, I'm Tom Klein. My company is Better Vantage Point, And I help uh, specifically dealerships, but in all industries, I'm a risk mitigation consultant, and I like to use the analogy that running a business or running a dealership is like trying to tuck an octopus into bed, and the tentacles keep flopping out, as Ty is demonstrating for you. And uh, what I do is try to keep the tentacles tucked in and uh, try to keep things running smoothly and make sure that if you have a problem, you have a way to address the problem. So that's what I do. Ty, I was on the single shot. Give me the octopus again, please. Oh, Tie the man, octopus. Every... <laughs> yeah, it's going crazy. And then you call Tom Klein and Tom Klein comes in. It's okay, go to bed. I want to say, Tom, I think that that is a genius marketing analogy. Because you start mm -hmm. to envision, I mean, you can't help but visualize an octopus. Oh, right? yeah. It's brilliant. Another round of applause. I mean, really, I love it. Thank you. Great. Yeah, really good. <laughs> Yeah, better than my herding cats one. The octopus is a real good visual. I love it. I really, it's, it's so good. Um, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to go ahead and to get this show going, um, we know we're talking about risk mitigation. And by the way, camera one, I listen, I know you hear risk mitigation, you're just like, I'm going to fall asleep, right? But, well, we're going to wake you up. We're going to go worst case scenario on you. Um, and so, right before I do the top 10 issues that I found, Tom scared the heck out of me when we caught up with him at Auto Intel Summit. What were you talking about? Like, you know, maybe your truck get hit by another truck and you were talking about worst case scenarios. What, Ty, Ty do you remember what he said? I remember it was, a, it was a, we were talking about what happens if your parts truck or your lot porter hits a school bus full of kids yeah that was the that was the worst case scenario and i mean i do some expert witness work and as an example uh in fact here for show and tell oh expert witness that's the other thing that scared me exactly here, here we go this is, this is oh my gosh so so that's you know it's where 
the sale in that particular case, I can't talk about too many particulars, of course, but of course. The, the, let's just say the salesman flipped the car during a test drive. Oh my God. Okay. This is what we're talking, right? This is awful. Like, you know how America's funniest home videos are not funny and they're terrible right. and people are like getting hurt. Right. This is worse. This is worse. The things oh, that, yeah. that, that, that what I like to say, Jay, is don't get a case of the yets. Hasn't happened to me yet. Oh, I don't wow. have a problem yet. You know, don't yet. in your business get a case of the yets because things happen to someone and it could happen to you. And so you have to be prepared for those kinds of things. Have you seen, you're making, there's a movie where the guy has a miniature set of like a Camaro smashing into a house and it catches on fire. Can't think of the movie. That's Tommy Boy. To, is that Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> he knows the movie. And he does, he, he's trying to pitch the guy in his office and he makes that, he does it right on the guy's desk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So as funny as that is, this worst case scenario is like you you talk you hitting a school bus. All right, so there you go. Your nine car hauler hits a school bus. Right? Or how about you see the nine car haulers on the side of the road? I don't even share it anymore. I, I see it it's at least once a month and nine cars on fire on the side of the road. That's probably a more realistic risk for our audience is what is their liability in that fire? Did they fail to maintain their equipment properly? And so a wheel bearing caused a tire fire, which led to the loss of load. Failure to maintain your equipment is one of the top reasons insurance will deny your claim. Um, did you ship something you shouldn't have? Did you fail to properly inspect and assure that vehicle's in good shape? Are you shipping a salvage car that's damaged with the battery still connected so it has live electricity in it? Couple of bumps, short circuit, who fits in flames? And that's what risk management, not to speak for Tom, but I do no, similar work that he does. That's what risk great. management is all about. Did you take all precautions, the jury loves this, that a reasonable and prudent person would in a similar position without using scare tactics? This is what's just back in the news now, the nuclear verdict against Warner Enterprises from a crash they were involved in several years ago. They were awarded, uh, the uh, plaintiff was awarded over $100 million and Warner appealed it because their driver was traveling in the opposite direction on the interstate. The plaintiff vehicle crossed the median and struck them head on, but they were found majority party responsible for the injury because their professional driver should have used better judgment and stopped because the roads were icy. The problem I have with that particular verdict is westbound I-20 was not icy, only eastbound was. The operator of the vehicle that lost control and struck them had no valid operator's license and was traveling between 50 and 60 miles per hour where the Warner truck was traveling well below the posted speed limit in the, uh, I think it was doing 38 miles an hour at impact. And yet Warner was found liable for 90 plus interest. So now 92 million. The driver is up with 13 million. Everything that man ever earns for the rest of his life is going to go to settle that lawsuit, his liability on it for just doing his job. And so that's where being super trucker in this fog and the uh, snow and all that, you got to think about these points today and ask, is it really worth it? Absolutely. And, and 
Further, there was uh, recently a judgment in uh, Georgia. It what I don't re think it was a trucker. I think it was a Ford uh, 250, F-250, I think, uh, of which two people were killed in that accident. And the person who uh, was driving, the jury came back at $1.7 billion verdict. Now, that will, I don't know that that will stand, but the numbers are just staggering. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And so Tom and I, different approaches, different sides of your business, but our goal is to keep you thinking about these things so that you don't end up being that person. Don't be desperate to put someone that's not qualified in your truck moving a vehicle. Don't be, don't be tempted to let your driver bring his teenage son with him and move cars out of the auction, pull him out of the auction and bring him to your truck. You're responsible for all of that. So these are very important points to operating your business. It, I want to state, so it's not just, exactly, it's not just the things you can't predict, like crazy crashes, someone coming out of nowhere, but the little things that you think won't matter. Right. And they do, they matter. do matter. Yeah. And, and and that's where expert witnesses, and I too practice in that field, we understand your business operations and the way they're supposed to be. And so we can tear it apart when something is wrong. And I'm not saying that I necessarily do that. I do work plaintiff and defense cases, but there are people out there that specialize in working for plaintiff attorneys, your trial attorneys that come after you, that will tear you apart and they use what's called reptile theory to appeal to the primitive portion of the brain of the juror that tugs on emotion so that they add zeros. And if you have any bit of liability for your actions or negligence to prevent these actions, that just adds zeros to the settlement. So I, oh, and Todd, oh, Todd can I catch okay. up? No, I was okay. just gonna add, I was just gonna add, yeah. add one quick thing to what Brian said. Some place to start where you can start today. Here's one item you can do to start today. Not exciting stuff, but important stuff is consider looking at your commercial policy and read. start by reading the exclusions. <laughs> see, see what's not covered. Because if you can see what's not covered, all of a sudden you'll think differently about your business. No question about it. Um, so if you want to know what you can do right now today when we're done is get a copy from your insurance agent and read what is not covered. Second to that, and Brian can chime in here, second to that is check your limits. How much total coverage do you have? And the kind of the conversation I have is how much is your enterprise worth on, an, on, on a consistent basis? If you were to sell it today, how much would it be worth? If you don't have at least that amount of umbrella insurance to cover that, then you are woefully underinsured and you should consider higher limits. Now, that's just getting up to that point. I would advocate it has to be higher to make the number big enough that if you have a problem that a lawyer will be satisfied with 40% of that number in order when he brings a case against you. Brian, you have thoughts on that? Excellent, excellent points. And for our audience in particular, most of our audience today are owner operator or they are heavily involved in operating their business. So even if they are incorporated or an LLC, 
it's easy to pierce that protection or perceive protection of the corporate veil if you are the guy telling your driver or directing your driver to do something or training your driver or physically doing it yourself they're going to go after your personal assets not just your business so make sure you are covered for whatever you want to protect you can't just hide it and run away and in a lot of states it doesn't matter that your spouse owns half the house they can still attach it they can attach retirement i had a very sad uh case i'm aware of where a driver did something wrong because he wanted to use his favorite truck and it wasn't the appropriate truck for the job and they attached his retirement so when he passed on his spouse doesn't even get anything he left nothing to the family and so exclusions will scare you in your insurance policy and it is important to know what is not in there and to make sure that you are properly covered not just for your average everyday cargo loss for that catastrophic loss that will happen it's not a maybe it is a will happen we just don't know when i got a quick question for both of you uh, to me what i'm hearing this starts sliding into let's get the trust attorney involved and start setting up trust is that next step or where does that fall because well, as a as a, a business owner you want a, <clears throat> a living trust i would assume is that right Yes and no. There are still ways to pierce that if they can determine it was set up too close to the loss or after the loss, that it was an asset protection scheme and not a legitimate use of a trust. But I am not an attorney. I am not giving legal advice. You brought up a very valid point. Validate what we're saying. Don't take your advice from a couple guys on YouTube. Right. Validate what we're Good saying point. with an attorney. Time out, everybody. That's right. This is a show featuring uh business experts but we're just talking if you uh if you need legal advice please seek legal advice um but some of these tips like you know it's interesting how a sobering moment such as looking up your exclusions on your insurance policy i mean it could be it could that could be helpful well That's i'll give you a common exclusion think back a couple of years ago when truck drivers were driving through the protesters were blocking the road most insurance policies exclude civil unrest. And if you deliberately entered that area to push your way through to teach the uh, protesters a lesson, your loss is not going to be insured. Oh, how, how about the professor in the news right now that put a machete to a press uh, reporters? Do you see this? <laughs> no, I have not seen that one oh yet. Oh, my God. Lost, first of all, lost their job as a professor. Uh, but, yeah, like, that's... Okay, so civil unrest. What other things like civil unrest might you find in exclusions? Is this a really long list? Oh, yeah. T typical uh, acts of war, uh, sometimes even weather damage if you don't take reasonable precautions. Uh, I have seen hail damage on full loads of cars denied because the driver didn't stop driving and drove into the storm that was predicted. I have seen... Uh, damages denied on uh, for cargo loss and uh, uh, um, and the terms escaping me your comp and collision but physical damage thank you so I, um, just because I, the driver didn't take precaution to present additional damage to the truck load or cargo while it was in their care custody and control my recommendation is that Metallica look into the exclusions page that's where you're going to find new ideas for songs and albums so. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> the, the key point to your insurance policy is if you don't understand to ask somebody that does 
And your exclusions dictate everything. A lot more is excluded than is included. The insurance company is trying to assume as little risk as they legally have to assume for the premium they collect. And if the deal is too good to be true, you're one of these guys with a very low rate policy, it's probably because the exclusions have transferred most of the risk to you exactly. for self-insurance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one, I mean, very a very pragmatic thing to do today is also take a look at how much each load is insured for because the prices, if, if you've just been renewing your policy year after year and you don't look at this item with cars going up in, in price so much, you know, nine cars times 60,000, well, I think the average car now is 49,000. So depending on what kind of product you're hauling, if it's a seventy, eighty thousand dollar, then all of a sudden, you know, nine times eighty is seven hundred and twenty thousand. If you only have five hundred thousand on that limit, you're self-insuring that extra, you know, two hundred thousand or so. So yeah. that's really interesting because okay, so on that value of the vehicle, Ty, go ahead. I'll come back to it. What were you gonna say, Ty? Well, it may not be the appropriate time for this, but I was. this would be a great conversation between Tom and Brian because this happened to me in my early days when I started adding trucks. Uh, I pull into a dealership that's a client that we do a lot of business with. He, the owner comes out, Hal Roper, and he says, I need to see a copy of your uh, work comp insurance. Mm -hmm. like, I'm a one-man show at this time, and why I'm not even on your property. I didn't say that, but he he took the time to explain to me, yeah, but you're gonna if you had drivers and they come on, something happens to them, they're going to come after us. So between the two of you guys, help help the audience explain, like, mm -hmm. Tom, why, why, why does the dealer even say that? And Brian, what do we do? So what the, the reason the dealer is saying that, Ty, is because he doesn't want any accidents that would happen to that driver to come on his policy and his experience because that just increases his rates. So a good, good risk mitigation practice is to make sure all of your vendors have um, insurance. So to put it in the trucking, you know, if you've got, if you're doing your own maintenance on your own truck, if you have a small shop and you're, uh, you're getting rid of your used oil as an example, Who's hauling away that used oil and do they have insurance? And you'd be surprised they don't usually have pollution insurance is the only thing that covers that. So you would be surprised that people who are hauling away that oil um, don't have insurance. And if something happens to that oil, you're held personally liable as well as your company. So it's called joint and several liability, which means any assets you have, either from the corporation or from you personally, are going to be held responsible for that. Brian, you want to add to that? Yeah, absolutely right. And your waste oil uh, example brings back memories from many, many years ago with a waste oil hauler that went over a weight-restricted bridge in New Jersey, landed his truck in the creek, and they were not insured adequately for pollution mitigation. So they went back and looked at the manifest and the 15 or 20 stops that made up that 3,000 gallons of oil, they each paid a proportionate share of that cleanup. And so, yeah, what this is, Ty, is the joint employer uh, concept where when you have contractors, and in this case, you're picking a vehicle up on behalf of that dealership or one of their clients, uh, 
you have responsibility while they're on your property. So the, the way they mitigate their risk is to make sure you're properly insured. And now I'll give you another example. We had a driver in my trucking company have a heart attack at a dealership in upstate New York. He was shoveling a car out of a snowbank and he fell down with a heart attack. He survived, but he never drove again. My workers comp paid for it. And part of it was paid for by the dealership's worker comp because it was determined that they did not make reasonable access to the car because they had plowed it into the snowbank, which did then froze, forcing the driver to do something that was uncustomary when loading cars, dig it out of the snowbank. And so we shared that claim together. Had they had had it clean and accessible, my workers comp would have covered it. But if I didn't have workers comp and wasn't doing things legitimate, they would have been on the hook for the damages to my driver because it happened on their property. And then it affects their experience modifier, which is the amount they multiply your premium per hundred dollars in payroll by. And you end up paying a few extra cents for every dollar you pay every employee for the next three years or whatever the time frame is. That's why they want that proof of information, that proof of insurance from you. And this is an interesting example because we know there are many times a driver does have to dig a car out and is thinking, I shouldn't have to do this. Worst uh -huh. case scenario is He's the driver has a heart attack. He's using other words in his mind, but right. yes. <laughs> the whole time. He's and, and this is why good dealerships and good brokers will want to see proof of adequate cargo and cargo specific for automobiles because that car is covered under your cargo insurance when the driver is pulling it out of the dealership or auction and driving it to and or from their vehicle. And then it has to be a declared employee. It can't just be the homeless guy off the street that you gave 20 bucks to be a car puller for the day, which is why we ask our professional car pullers to provide oh, us with proof of insurance. Say, now your car puller needs insurance, right? Right. All of mine had oh, to give man. me insurance and I had to be a named additional so that I could file the claim. And that's another thing you'll see. They ask for named additional, not just certificate holder. That is so they can file a claim on your behalf if there's a loss, even if you protest it. And in fact, this is where the idea that, oh, well, we'll just hand it off to another carrier or stick it at a terminal. Every time, it's not just an inspection thing. Right. This is a liability. Wow. And, it gets and so make complicated sure, so quickly. And this is exclusions. Uh, one of the one of the largest auto insurers out there, one of the largest insurer companies out there for commercial auto for auto transporters, Progressive, does not allow terminal operations, which means they only cover you if you load that vehicle on your truck and do not unload it until you get to where you're going. You can't even unload it to swap a load. If you damage it in the parking lot, moving it from position one to position nine to rebuild your load, you're self-insuring for that risk because it's wow, an exclusion. Wow, no way. You uh, same, with, uh, same with OOIDA's oh, no. auto insurance. They will not cover it to come off your truck and sit on a ground for terminal operations for storage or even for repositioning on your load. So read your policy and make sure you understand the risk you're assuming. Ty, you're lighting up like a Christmas tree over there. Right? <laughs> well, I had this actually happen. It's oh, funny. So it's Springfield, wow. Missouri, 166, you get the carpoolers. Well, the way this auction's located, you literally have to cross four lanes of traffic. So it's always scary anyway, it's a busy road. Sure enough, the carpooler guy, it's late at night, they go across the street, they get T-boned. Guess what they don't have? <laughs> I've had it happen to me personally. I mean, it's a real story. Oh. Yeah, you bought a car. Oh, not only that, I 
had to take care of the people that got hurt. I well, yeah, you, you bought two cars plus a bunch of doctor bills. Oh, yeah, it was, it was nuts. But that's really what happens. And here's my big takeaway. Tom Klein, what Tom Klein said, we love Tom Klein. I love what he said. He said, here's two things you can do right now. And Brian backs it up. I know. But let's close with the two things that you can do right now to benefit you, which I think we should all be worried about us because we're the ones doing it, right? I mean, Tom, tell us. Right. The two. Th I don't know if I remember them. No, the, <laughs> the, the, the two things. Number one, check your limits to see if you have adequate coverage um, for if you're depending on what kind of cars you're hauling. If you're hauling junkers, that's one thing. But if you're hauling new cars and they're eighty thousand um, dollars, or in some cases, so I have a just a quick aside. Um, you know, I have a, a, a former client who is a Lamborghini dealer, and each of those are 400000 And usually, usually there's a cap, and Brian, you correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a cap that they're only going to pay 100000 maximum or 250000 maximum. So if you're hauling Lamborghinis, you need to check both the total value maximum of the cars that you're hauling and the single car maximum. So doing it, wow. do some quick math and figure out if you are hauling those expensive cars. And so. so, and I knew a guy that he was like, "Hey, Jay, I'm doing great." And I was like, "Really? What do you, you know?" He's like, "Oh, I'm getting making a ton of money." And he was hauling these high end cars, like hundred thousand dollar plus cars, which isn't even the highest end, right? But he's hauling three at a time on an open trailer. I think between dealerships or something, and I'm like, man, I mean, I, I realize the money is pretty good, but for that amount of risk, it's not that good. No, not at all. And and let's remember, two other very important, very expensive, and hard to obtain, and often not obtained coverages in the auto transport world: diminished value and constructive total loss. Because when I have my one-of-a-kind Lamborghini and it needs body work, even if it's only thirty dollars or $40,000, well, you just knocked another 100000 off of its value, and I want to be compensated for that as the vehicle owner, or constructive total loss. Sometimes damage that only has $1,000 worth of actual cost to repair, when it's a brand-new vehicle, the manufacturer will say, oh, that's a structural component. Roof damage is number one, and we're going to total the car. Well, your cargo insurance is only going to pay the value of the repair minus the salvage value of the vehicle, which would be what it would sell at used at the auction, or sometimes only the value of the repair. And you are on the hook for the rest if you do not have constructive total loss. And the insurance company normally will exclude the salvage value because they don't get to take possession of the car and sell it at the salvage auction because the manufacturer wants it destroyed with proof of destruction. So you're sending a brand new $70,000 F-150 pickup truck to the crusher that you paid 70 grand for because you weren't properly insured on it. So that's very important when you play with new cars or even some used. I'm starting to see dealerships that are going after diminished value to make up for what they're losing when a car has to be declared because every state has a different law on where you have to declare previous repairs to it. And once they have to declare the car's been repaired, they want that markup, the difference of what it should have retailed for. Oh my god! Okay, so let's do this. We're almost we're thirty minutes into the show. I'm going to do like a speed round. All right, here we go. So I've got ten 
This I don't know what'll happen with this. I got ten article topics. Here we go. Uh, how about people that say uh, insurance is too expensive to pay for? Okay. Yep. That's a big problem. You need to be covered for the under or uninsured motorist. And the underinsured is most important because you might have a half a million dollars worth of cargo and a $400,000 car hauler. So you got $900,000. Some idiot wrecks it in front of you and they've got state policy limits of ten dollars or $15,000 of public liability. Your insurance company's paying the difference. So if you're not properly insured, this all goes back to what Tom said from the beginning. Know your coverage and read your exclusions. You are just out $790,000 between the truck, trailer, and cargo. Understand you know, what risk you're taking. Just but, as a, as, oh, go ahead, Tom, Tom. I, I was just going to say to, to chime in here real quickly. Um, on this issue, um, consider going back. Yes, it's, in, yes, it's in expensive. It's always going to be expensive, and it's getting more expensive, unfortunately, for all business owners. But consider going back to your... Uh, insurance professional and saying, hey, I'm willing to put more skin in the game to lower my premium. So what would happen to my premium if I have a $5,000 deductible or a $10,000 deductible or a $20,000 deductible? Because mm -hmm. even though $20,000 may be painful, and it is painful if you have an accident, maybe that brings the premium down to a point that you're comfortable with it. And even if you have to pay that twenty thousand or get a loan for the twenty thousand, you probably can do that rather than go without insurance. You know, get the get the higher. It's called a deductible. Some people call it a retention. Mm -hmm. get, a, get a higher deductible or retention every time before you would ever consider foregoing the upper limits of insurance. Oh, I, I agree with that because wholeheartedly, and I would rather have 20 grand sitting in a money market account earning today four or 5% interest on it in the bank and even pay out my claims that are under my deductible. So I have a high deductible policy to keep my overall premium down, self-insure for the smaller risks to keep your loss run clean. And on the major catastrophe, you know you're gonna empty out that 20 grand that's sitting in the bank, but you probably will save more than that in premium if you can go two, three years without a insurable loss that has to go on there. Because remember, your premium is going up again after that when you have an insurable loss. They're going to get their money back out of you one way or the other. When I was in California, uh, now this is 20 years ago, but uh, I, it seemed like when I signed up for car insurance, they're like, oh, yeah, and you need uninsured motorist insurance. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, there's just way too many people on the roads in Los Angeles without insurance. Now, yeah. that was 20 years ago, and I'm thinking, that is kind of crazy. But it's true. And unfortunately, a lot of states let you waive that coverage. So to save 5 or $10 a month, people waive this coverage. And this is not just for your trucks. This is for your personal cars, too. These same principles apply to your personal risk of operating your own automobile or anything else you do in your life. Okay. All right. Let's go to number two. Uh, improperly secured load. Yep. <laughs> um, go ahead. <laughs> this is why cargo securement is more than just worrying about your CSA score and what the DOT will charge you with. Again, negligence. You didn't properly secure your load. 
it falls off. We've all seen the video of the ambulance falling off the Sun Country trailer and bouncing down the road. That's crazy. Um, We've (laughs) seen cars bouncing and fall off of car haulers. Well, that falls off in the middle of the road and somebody hits it. Very sad but true story. Not a car, but here in the Poconos where I live, somebody was hauling a prefabricated concrete wall and it fell off the trailer in the middle of the night. And somebody struck and struck it and was killed. And that trucking company is out of business because of their liability there. So there's reasons we have these rules. And it's easy to point and say you did not act reasonable when the rules call for securement forward, backward, up, down, left, right. And you put one strap or one inadequate strap or chain or hook it to the wrong spot of the car. I can point to that. And those don't even go to court. They just settle for policy limits. So I hurt somebody like this and I've got a million dollar public liability backed by my uh, MCS 90. They're going to come after me and my insurance carrier is going to settle that. You're going to have a million dollar loss on your loss run, probably get dropped and then have a hard time getting insurance again. Did I miss anything, Tom? Bankruptcy? Yes. Oh, geez. BK, throw these BK guys. We got a party with these guys. You guys want to go oh, to the islands God. and party? Let's do this. <laughs> we're really good guys, though. We're really. We're trying to keep you from having this happen to you. Uh, truck cameras, truck and trailer cameras. You you know I'm a big advocate of these. I don't mean to steal all these from you, Tom. Uh, no, this you, is, you know this I'm is a good. big advocate. I keep these even in my own personal vehicle, and I strongly support driver facing. And I get a lot of backlash over this. You have no reasonable expectation of And they privacy protect the driver. They're helping media. the... That's the thing. Correct. Isn't that funny? It, it's usually they, helping the driver. That's what uh, the unless, study says. You, unless you are an idiot doing like stuff wrong. Loading your Glock and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, now, seriously, even if you are doing things wrong, the studies show that when you have camera footage, the claim settles quicker. And when they settle quicker, they settle for a lower dollar amount, which overall helps your loss run uh, and maybe could even settle for within your policy limits so they're not coming after your personal property. So driver-facing cameras are incredibly important, and you have no expectation of privacy in a commercial vehicle when you're an employee, <clears throat> excuse me, except maybe when you have a sleeper, and the cameras are mounted to the windshield. Every sleeper I've ever been in, the bunk curtains cover the windshield so they can't see what you're doing. They're not going to see you picking your nose or whatever after hours. So look around. There's cameras in your office. There's cameras in the Walmart. There's cameras in the gas is station. It, there's cameras it, on the road. Is we it possible? To, is it possible to have like an hour of where the can like the cameras on from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and it turns off, turns on? Well, depending upon the camera you use, most of my clients use Samsara, and right. I have access to it as if I was one of their administrative users. I can't just randomly go look inside somebody's cab and pull that footage. It has to trigger an event. So it's always recording, but the AI determines what's an event and sends that footage to a human for review. The only time I can look at a camera inside the truck is if I'm doing a diagnostic test and it gives me a quick snapshot to say, yep, it is working. I can look at the outward facing camera that's in real time right. anytime I want, but they're not, no one's sitting here watching you hey, that's, when you're driving your truck. Okay, that you know what? That's pretty cool. I like that. Good job, Samsara. Yeah, the robots are watching you. That's it. Oh, okay. Um, speed limiters. Speed limiters. All right. As a professional driver, I don't want the truck to tell me what my maximum speed can be. I want to have the ability to adjust it. However, as a risk mitigation person, if 
as a company owner, I don't take every reasonable precaution to prevent my drivers from doing something inappropriate, I'm opening myself up to additional liability. So when you have a fleet, this is an individual decision you have to make. Do you set speed limiters on your truck to the average speed you want your fleet traveling that you've determined is safe through science and data or the maximum speed limit in the areas they travel in? Or do you let your driver make that decision? I don't believe it should be a mandated regulation, but it's an industry recommended best practice. The same thing with the electronic logging device. We did have a lot of drivers that were cheating their hours of service, but not all of them. But a couple of bad apples ruined it for everybody. ELDs are the law of the land today. So you should figure out how to comply with them and how to bid your work appropriately so you're not asking your drivers to cheat because that is liability that will hang you in court later. Hey, Tom, what's going when, when, on a test drive? What's the coverage of a of a consumer on a test drive and some, they do something dumb? So I'll answer that question. Let me just yeah. add one comment to what Brian said. If you do use speed limiters, I would certainly go back to my insurance carrier and ask for a reduction of premium um, mm. because all of a sudden you're, you're helping reduce their risk. Um, mm. And in answer to your question, Jay, on a test drive, if something happens to the passenger, it's up, you know, the, the potential liability is whatever the liability is and whatever the judge says or the jury but as far as what the insurance will pay, that's the maximum limits on the liability. Whatever the, if they have 10 million, it's 10 million. If they have 20, it's 20. If they have 30, it's 30. So when they're on a test drive, it's their it's their insurance. That's that's it's a not the dealers. That's a long and complicated question. Ooh, uh -oh. Let me let me sim let me simplify it by saying if something happens, they're going to go after the dealer's insurance. Yeah, that's yes. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, I mean. I mean you can make the argument, the dealer can make the argument that his insurance or her insurance is primary, but practically speaking, the amount of their coverage isn't going to be a lot. So you're not talking, from a business perspective, it doesn't help you much um, because they're going to have 500,000 of liability generally. That's what, if you go home and, and the three of you check your personal insurance after today, you know, you probably have 500,000, maybe you have a million, but it's usually not more than that. So the event of a a difficult loss where somebody is severely injured or somebody's killed, the, the even if the person's insurance is primary, the dealership's insurance is going to be excess. And if it's a severe accident, it's going to go up to the limits of that, that, yes. that policy. Remember, the business has deep pockets, not the average person buying a car. And so they go after where the biggest piggy bank is. Well, they go after everybody. You'll find everybody named on the complaint. Is that what you see a lot of, Tom? Yeah. Like yeah. Absolutely. Anybody they can think of. Yeah, there's a reason for that, too. Um, and now one more note on passengers, not related to your question. But remember, most commercial auto, all commercial auto, I should say, excludes passengers that are non-business passengers without a rider to the policy for having a passenger in your vehicle. So if you allow your drivers to bring their kids, their spouse, their girlfriend, the street walker they picked up on the corner, you are taking responsibility for their injuries as the vehicle owner and operator, unless you've made them purchase a separate rider for passengers. Just and even then it still is severely limiting what it covers. 
and you can get someone hurt, just they, they can file a lawsuit. I've seen six-figure settlements just because someone slipped and fall, fell climbing in or out of your truck because the driver didn't instruct him to use three points of contact climbing in the truck. I've been an expert on several of those cases. Wow. Good times. Party yeah. animals. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so here, here's a Christmas dinner. We'll yeah, be, exactly. We'll... Everybody's coming over. Okay. Uh, on, like, we'll pick an icy night, lots of drinking. Okay. I was about to start truck driving for a company, but failed to come out, but failed. I came out positive for methamphetamine. The only drugs I've done in my life were weed. I'm trying to think how I got that in my system. I did have some drink with a cancer patient. I don't know if he mixed. <laughs> Maybe my hands touched it somehow, or I've been eating fast food almost every day. I don't know if one of the employee's hands had some particles on it. I don't know what to do. Um, don't do math. Because <laughs> unless the test was contaminated, and even then they test the split sample, if they're following the procedures properly, um, you don't accidentally test positive for the threshold for a DOT pre-employment test for methamphetamines or any other substance. It is a myth that poppy seeds will make you test positive for opioids on a drug test. So you're not going to get a positive because somebody touched your fast food or you took a sip from a drink with a cancer patient or anything like that. You have it in your system for some other reason. Maybe it is a legitimate reason, and this is what the medical review officer is supposed to do. Look at any medicines you've been prescribed and see if they will create a false positive because there are some documented cases of legitimate medicines creating false positives. But what you do, real short and simple, immediately when you're told by the MRO that, hey, we tested positive, you demand the split sample be tested. They can make you pay for it, but if it comes back as a negative test result, then the employer has to reimburse you for that. If it comes back positive, then you have a real problem. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to say you have another social problem in your life because you don't accidentally test positive for meth on a DOT drug test. So the topic here is drug testing. Who wants to add a drug? I mean, that, like, because I, I saw an article, I mean, marijuana use is up, like, across the nation, right? Changing laws and everything. Who wants to touch drug testing? It's my most requested speaking subject it's this it. year is marijuana yeah. and the truck driver mm -hmm. because we've talked about it ad nauseum before, but people are accidentally testing positive and ruining their career for using what they believe to be alleged zero THC over-the-counter products yeah. because they're not, the, the lab only has to test below the threshold, which happens to be the same threshold for a positive test, 0.3%. They, they uh, test positive or test below that once and they make endless batches without an individual certificate of compliance for each batch. You throw your career away because whether you ingested it as a over-the-counter product that was supposed to be legal, had a prescription for it, it's legal for recreation in your state, it's still federally prohibited. And this is why our drug testing rules are the way they are because they're based on federal because we are a federally regulated wow. industry. And maybe you can speak, Tom, to why it's important as an employer not to discontinue your drug testing program, because I have a lot of my employee, my customers that want to discontinue their workplace drug testing program, except where required for DOT regulated drivers. Well, you get a break on your and let's start with you get a break on your insurance costs. Let's start there. Um, if you have a, uh, a drug free um, a drug-free workplace, 
I think I don't recall specifically, but up to maybe 10 percent on your workers comp rates. Is that right, Brian? Remember? That sounds about right. And yeah. and what about the risk you have when you didn't do everything reasonable as an employer? And I have some one of your employees that injures me as a customer or an innocent bystander and we can prove that they were impaired. I mean, that risk is huge. It's it's huge. And when you're talking about post post you know, there's there's two things here. There's pre-employment screening, which is one question, um, which is a whole different thing for the trucking industry versus, you know, car dealers. Mm-hmm. And then it's post, post-accident post testing, which um, only goes to um, really, in most cases, insulate the, the, the business based on the fact that they don't know that this person is doing drugs and all of a sudden they are and and they didn't know unless they unless they knew that they were doing drugs and just condoned it and said it's okay and you know here's a vehicle and go go drive and go have fun yeah you know it just doesn't happen very often yeah and i i have clients that are trying to reduce or expand the labor pool because having a hard time hiring so they've removed marijuana from the drug testing program or they've just discontinued drug testing altogether and it's coming back to bite them because now they can't prove that they knew this was a clean employee because they never did a pre-employment. They didn't have any type of workplace random. And now we had an accident where they got hurt. And I have seen it come back. Well, my supervisor had to know I was stoned. I looked like it. I got in the parking lot and took up and lunch and he let me cut my arm off. This is a legitimate case we're working right now. And so the employer is going to take liability for that because the employee says they knew I was using and they let me use the dangerous tool. Anyhow, I'm just here for the paycheck, man. I do what they tell me. And that is what happens today. I'll let you know how that one works out. Oh, that sounds crazy. Yeah. Keep (laughs) us posted. Future episode. Uh, All right. How about this one? Here we go. This is a absolute crossover. Illegally parked auto carrier is delivering to a dealership. Well, the truck driver has liability for being stopped in a... uh, public roadway where he does not belong that's not a loading zone doesn't matter that the chevy dealer is right there in the background the the professional truck driver has a duty to operate in a safe manner and if there is nowhere safe to unload right there then they need to find somewhere safe to unload and personally as a former auto transport owner i put that square on my client i'm not servicing you if you don't have a place off of the public right-of-way that i can unload my truck and how many dealers say, yeah, just you just park in the center lane? A lot of them in metropolitan areas because yeah. the real estate is very valuable. And, and in Houston, there's a lot of that yeah. in Houston, yeah. And they get upset when you just back down their main driveway and block the whole parking lot up to unload. But I'm sorry, uh, we've had people killed where the carrier has been liable for it because their ramps were down and they didn't realize the truck was stopped. They drove up the ramps. We have had drivers injured and killed. A good friend of mine almost was killed and he's uh, severely hurt. He was unloading on a public roadway similar to this on the curb and somebody struck him when he was right about between the truck and trailer. And uh, he was out of work for over a year. He's back to work now, but this is a huge liability and you as the professional truck driver know better than the park in traffic and if you are going to stop in traffic like that well you need adequate warning and uh, you can get a fine for not putting your triangles out i was gonna say uh, he has no cones nothing 
Yeah, yeah, he does not. He's not defined a safe work area, and his employer allowing him to do that. The employer has a has a duty under the general duty clause of OSHA to provide a safe working environment for their driver. OSHA does not regulate transportation when we're driving down the road, but as soon as you're parked and out of the truck, they do. And he's immediately adjacent to a fixed structure. That's OSHA now jurisdiction. The employer has a responsibility to provide him a safe working zone. And I would be willing to take this to court and challenge that if that driver got hurt or somebody else got hurt, the dealership has a joint liability under the premise of joint li uh, employer liability we were talking about earlier because they didn't allow that driver to have a safe place to deliver their vehicles. I don't know. I might be a little off base on that. What do you think, Tom? Um, I haven't seen any specific cases about that, but I would say that it's a good argument. I mean, I, I, I would say that uh, I would say certainly a judge would let that go to a jury. Let me say it that way. So what do you advise your dealership clients with regards to shipping and receiving vehicles on their property? Uh, do you have any specifics that jump out at you as a higher or a better uh, best practice for managing that risk? Have a policy uh, and follow it. Right. Just make sure the you know the that the sales manager say doesn't say well just I don't know I got I'm trying to sell cars you just you go unload your stuff and bring you know none of that so, so um, I think you know, I think I, we I, just we just found another tentacle <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ty Ty does it better than I do <laughs> right Ty do your tentacles yeah awesome all right that was a good one that was a really good one um. Double brokering, I don't know if we... We only have about 10 minutes left. I'll just... I'm going to throw these out and we can pick one. we got double brokering. Um, oh, man. Uh, account security. I mean, this is going to be everywhere. Whether oh, you're a carrier... Yeah, go ahead. This is critical to have oh, a man. policy on and then to audit your employees on these phishing and other account security because oh. we have drivers doing stuff on their mobile phone connecting the public wi-fi etc you're exposed to a lot of things and uh it security it's another thing you can insure for wow. but not everybody insures for cybercrime properly and it can shut your company down and oh, i'm sure tom can elaborate on the risk you have when you have client information that gets exposed to the right. dealership there are very specific right. laws on protecting non-public personal information. Yes, there are. And there's a new deadline for June the 9th um, under the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. Um, they changed the definition of PII or personally identifiable information. Mm. Um, October of 21 is when it came out. Then it was supposed to be enforced on December 9th. Now it's June 9th. But now PII includes anyone's cell phone or email address is now considered PII, where before it was basically, you know, date of birth, social security number, that kind of thing. So, and and we could have, you know, five shows on cybersecurity. Oh my gosh. And I can't imagine, I mean, it's only 2023. We're in the stone age of how bad it's going to yeah. get. And, and Jay, I'll let, let me add to the PII, personally identifiable information. We, those of us that transport POVs, personally owned vehicles, we have the same exposure that a dealership has where someone left their pay stub in the car or other personally identifiable information that if we don't take appropriate measures to secure that vehicle properly, 
there's liability that transfers to you when somebody can just pilfer through it because you left it unlocked in your storage yard and see information. So again, you have to lock and secure your vehicles, secure the property you're storing them at. There's a whole list, and I am not a P, I am not an expert on the Graham Bliley Leach Act and its protections. But just Graham say Leach, if there is something that can identify your client that's not public, like their license plate number that's on the car, you have a duty to protect it. That a fair summary, Tom? Yeah. I, I had this thought. Instead of being a car hauler, just be a jewelry hauler. <laughs> and you can use, like, shoe boxes and haul jewelry around. It, is it, it, is it much, that much different? It, it's probably easier to, <laughs> to, be, to be an armored car carrier yeah. and haul money around. Oh, my God. <laughs> and on double brokering, there is a risk there to you as well. Oh, because course. if you fall victim to a double brokering scam, A, you may not get paid. You, you might have to do a lot of extra work to track down who the original shipper was. They do have an obligation to pay you if you can prove that you were scammed. But there's also the liability of loss. If you thought you were going to be smart and broker a load out to somebody, and it's a scam or sham or underinsured carrier that took it from you, if your name is on the bill of lading, you are the one responsible for it. And so if it's on somebody else's truck when the incident happens, your insurance is not going to cover it. And you will end up personally liable or your business assets liable for that loss. And for what? A few hundred bucks, right? Yeah. It's like, man, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Um, EVs? Boy, oh boy. I know. Ty's like, I we almost made it through this show and you had to bring up <laughs> son of a... Uh... <laughs> yeah, we, we can skip that because there, there's risk to it. But... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Ty. And now and AB5 is my last one. Uh, EV, AB5, anybody want to say anything? Oh, EVs really quickly. <laughs> we have a risk of fire and other loss on them. And even in states where you get permission to be over what is standard gross and even okay. over axle, if you're over what your vehicle is designed for, even if it's legal, you're still exposing yourself to liability for using the equipment beyond manufacturer's design. And some, if not all, trial attorneys will still say, well, yeah, 84,000 pounds was legal, but 80 is the standard. Don't you think that truck was a little too big? He was being greedy. He could have just left one car off. And even if you're not doing oh, anything like wrong, Ladies you're still going to have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, don't you think he was being a little greedy? Yeah. yeah. It happens every day. And AB5, that just reminds me to remind you, make sure that your contracting, your contractors are actually contractors and not employees so that you are properly insured for the risk that they are assuming or you are assuming will they work for you and you have workers' comp insurance on them. Uh, there is no such thing as a 1099 employee. They are a contractor. Oh, good point. It, it, Red you, flag. Yeah, you have an employee yeah. or you have a contractor. 1099 versus W-2 is just the form you use to result to report the money paid. One are wages paid to an employee. The other is payments to a contractor. And if they're driving your truck at your discretion, they are not a contractor. I don't care what anybody else says. And Brian, that brings up a good question, which I don't know the answer to, which is do insurance policies for truckers have exclusions based on whether they're independent contractors or employees 
And is it is it a potential problem if they're an independent contractor or they say they are that the their insurance won't pick up a, a, a claim? Yeah, yes and no. A lot of your commercial auto policies will specifically spell it out that they have to be a bona fide employee of your company. That said, if you're an interstate motor carrier, the MCS 90 requires them to take responsibility for anything that happens with your DOT number on the side of the truck. So they will make whole the public, but they may deny the claim internally and come after you if that was not an authorized driver. So as far as the driving part, as long as we've run their license, they don't differentiate between employee or contractor. But other parts of the liability, they can. And if they get injured on the truck or anything else, they're going to come after you with a lawsuit when they find out they didn't have workers' comp. And the Department of Labor says, oh, you should have been an employee. So there are other exposures. The physical public liability for driving, they will cover them as long as you listed them as a driver. Other parts, you're you're going to be responsible for it. There you go. Thanks for that. Well, I, I've got to say, since we just have a couple minutes left, I like to say on Tuesday nights that I, I I try to produce mobile trade shows. This was literally a stage presentation at a trade show, except we did it on a Wednesday on Zoom. <laughs> Amazing content and information. I can't thank uh, Tom, you enough for being our special guest today. And Brian, of course, this is why we do this show. This show, man, there's so much here. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, so if you're, a, if you're a dealer guy, get a hold of Tom. If you're a truck guy, get a hold of Brian. Exactly. You got it covered. I'm going to share the links in the live chat. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of that, we got about two and a half minutes left. Is there anything important in the live chat for today? Any any pressing questions? So I don't think there are any questions. There have been, um, and I'm sharing these links, Brian, Riker, and Fleet Compliance Solutions. Um, just pull up the live chat. We've got, I mean, Rob Stevenson is in here talking about, you know, um, same thing happened at a repo lot. And then Rob was talking about same thing at a dealer. John Larrick is here. Um, Brova Chaz Lemon, who is uh, kind of a newer viewer, is, you know, happy to be here and learning. Um, but I don't think 925 Logistics, what's okay. up? But I don't think any specific questions. Because I just I didn't think, want to miss any. Well, and, and I, I appreciate that. I think there was a lot of jaw-dropping, and that's a hard time to ask a question. You know? <laughs> yes. A lot of nervous, sweaty... <laughs> like, oh my, everybody's running either to their policy or from it. Read, read your policy yeah. and keep your agent in the loop. It does you no good to not be transparent with your agent. They are on your side to make sure you are properly covered or at least understand the risk you're assuming. Wow. Amazing stuff. And if they, and if they don't have the answer, call Brian. Or Tom. <laughs> oh, Brian and Tom, I see another future opportunity. Tom, hey. thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Ty. Well, so this is really cool. I, I don't know if I've told anybody this, but when I first met Tom, probably the second time, I was like, I always think about Brian. Right, so, oh, that's so it cool. really is a cool. It's really cool to have both you guys together, and I do appreciate it. Thank you so much because Thanks, it, it, we really appreciate Tom and what Tom does and the light he brings to us. And same with Brian and you guys. You guys are really cool and you're really important. So thank you very much for supporting us with your thank time. Thank you, Ty. Thanks for having us. I appreciate yeah. it. Yep. Appreciate that so much. All right. All right, gentlemen. Hey, it's a big weekend coming up, so be safe. Enjoy yourself. 
and try not to think about all the bad stuff that could happen. And remember, cargo theft, theft increases over the holiday weekend, so Ooh. secure your vehicle. Yeah. And stay out of Florida. They've been stealing car haulers left and oh right. Oh, my gosh. There. Isn't that the truth? And if you didn't properly secure it, they may deny your claim. Oh, man. Mm. Great. And we got we got to get together around the Fourth of July. I smell a party. <laughs> <laughs> what can go wrong? Right. Make sure you have insurance for that party, Jay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody's coming over. Nobody's coming over. Ability insurance. Nobody. Okay. Party of one. All right. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, everybody. Thanks, we'll see you in a month, Brian. Thanks, buddy. All right, and I'll let everybody go, and there's the end of the meeting. Bang, and uh, Zoom. Uh, wow, that was wild. So I knew that was going to be uh, interesting, but I had no idea it would be a solid hour of information. We just went one hour. And for anybody that missed it, if you watch it on demand, I hope, that, uh, hope you enjoy it. Hey, if you saw this live, let somebody know. They should check this out. This is Live Care Advice on May 24th. A one-hour show with Risk Risk with Tom Klein is the name of the show. Risk Mitigation. Covered a lot of stuff. There's just a lot to think about. So on that note, um, thank you so much. If you said hello in the live chat, leave a like and share and subscribe. Tomorrow we've got Dispatching Live. There's no cars on the move this week. We're moving to the holiday weekend, so no cars on the move. But do join us tomorrow. You're going to learn more about SuperPay with Super Dispatch. So we'll see you there. In fact, here, I'll do this real quick. I'll leave the link for tomorrow's show, and that way you can just set your reminder now, and we'll see you then, and ask any questions if you have any questions. All right, here we go. Ending the show. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Peace out, everybody. Take care.